Hi, welcome to New Creation Family Church. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome back to church this year. It's uh, good to see you guys all starting off the decade, right? As you probably all know, I am a massive fan of Christmas. I really love myself a bit of Christmas. And then Christmas comes, and then Christmas goes, and it's, it's tempting for me to get all sad, because it's just this one day of the year, and it's all this build up, build up, and then it's this one day, and it's gone. And then I get tempted to be sad, but you know what? Have you ever heard of the 12 days of Christmas? Have you heard of the 12 days of Christmas? Did you know those 12 days are not the 12 days before, they're the 12 days after? Did you know? 12 days of Christmas. So if you do your math right, guess what? <laughs> It's still Christmas. <laughs> this is the smile on my face, because it's still Christmas. And we don't, we don't really know much about this tradition. Um, in, I'm going to be talking this morning, sorry, about faith alone is the name of my topic. Faith alone. And, and, and what I want to say is we don't know much about this, this tradition. I, I discovered it when I was in Switzerland. So the 12 days of Christmas lead up to January the 6th, that's tomorrow. And traditionally speaking, that's the day you're supposed to take down your Christmas decorations. Has anyone jumped the gun on that? Yeah. Supposed to leave them up until January 6th. And January 6th is the day known as, does anyone know? Epiphany. Very good. It's a day known as Epiphany. And we don't know about it too much in our, like, church circles or our tradition and stuff, but it's a day that's traditionally set apart to celebrate when the Magi came and brought Jesus Christ, the child, their gifts. We don't, um, we don't really believe that it was 12 days after Jesus' birth that the, the Magi came. We know it was probably like a year and a half or six months or something different. They were, they were living in a house when they brought the gift, so it must have been a significant amount of time later, but this is the day we celebrate that event. And if you're like me, you're looking at me being asking, why is that an event to celebrate? Why would we celebrate the Magi bringing Jesus the gift? But it is a metaphor to the introduction of God's promises to non-Gentile people. That's represented by the Magi coming to, to Jesus Christ. And it's, yeah, it's celebrated all over. Like in Switzerland, they make these bread rolls in the shape of a crown. And in one of the bread rolls, you'll find a little token, which itself is a crown. And everyone takes one of the little rolls, and then you eat the roll on the day. And if you find that little token in your piece of bread, you get anointed king for the day. And do you know what comes along with that? Nothing. So they're still, they're still <laughs> trying to establish it and build on it, but it's a, it's a good way of trying to bring in this tradition. It's where we get the song, We Three Kings from Orient Are, is one of the epiphany songs. And this morning, for, for, in preparation for this morning, I got to thinking a lot about this whole idea of us being foreigners to the gospel, foreigners to being God's people. God chose the Israelites. He chose this nation of Israel to be his people. And later on, he joined us into that group. So it does sound a little bit exclusive when you hear, okay, God chose the Israelites 
to be his people, it's tempting to think, Yo, why is God showing favoritism? Why is God being so exclusive? Why is he sending everyone else away from his kingdom and then only doing it with one group of people? But that was never the point of God choosing a nation. God chose a nation with the intention of saying, okay, this nation is going to represent me. They're going to show my power. They're going to show my goodness to the whole world and all peoples of the world will see my goodness and see my love and will come and worship me. And so it wasn't actually, okay, I'm going to say this carefully, it wasn't too difficult to become Jewish, especially for the ladies. For the men, it was a bit tougher. Um, there had to be some surgery involved. But for the, for the ladies and for anyone to become Jewish, all it required was a baptism, maybe a bit of a circumcision, and then they were able to be a part of the Passover. And then the Bible says in the Torah that they were to be treated as a native, as a native Jewish person. It was easy to become a part of the Jewish nation. And not only that, but it has never been considered a part of the Jewish faith that you had to be Jewish to be saved. That was never, ever a consideration. And you can see it time and time again in the Bible how non-Jewish people get preached the message of God to them. I mean, the whole story of Jonah going to the Ninevites, that wasn't a Jewish nation. And yet Jonah had to go and preach to them. And so it's exciting to know that God has always had a global vision for his kingdom building. He's always wanted to build the kingdom with all of creation. It's just that his promises were for his nation until the time that Jesus Christ came and said, you know what, there's a new promise now. There's a new covenant, and this new covenant is going to go to everyone. And that's why we're all here this morning, and we're going to go through this idea of the Gentiles coming into the Jewish faith. So for us to do that, I'm going to argue this morning that we are saved together. We're saved together. And we're going to go through three questions. I'm going to go through three questions, and we'll be done. We can go get some tea and scones and go take down our decorations. The first one is, what are you seeking from God? What are you seeking from God? The second one, do you believe you deserve it? And finally, do you think you can do what it takes? So what are you seeking from God? Do you believe you deserve it, or anyone else deserves it? And do you believe you can do what it takes? So we're going to read through Acts chapter 10, the whole chapter. So I would suggest get out your Bibles, because it's not a short chapter. It's easy to follow along. I didn't put it up on the top there, because I want people to read along with me in their Bibles. Open your phones if you've got the Bible app. I would prefer if you had Olive Tree, because it's so much better. Olive Tree Bible app, guys. So much better. Okay, Acts chapter 10. Are you there? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He said. 
The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for me. I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called his relatives and his close friends together. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to be associated or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Thanks for sticking with me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you, God, that you are a God who does not show favoritism, but you call all of those who are seeking you with all their hearts and minds into your fold, into your arms, into relationship with you. Thank you, God, that there is nothing that disqualifies us from the grace that you offer us. There is nothing that can keep us from you. And this morning we stand here as your sons and daughters asking, asking more for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my first question is, what are you seeking from God? Why are you here? What are you doing here this morning? Why are you associating yourselves with Christian influences? Why are you putting yourself in a church building on the first Sunday of the decade, of the year? What question are you asking God? Are you asking God for an answer to something difficult that's happening in your life? Have you heard that if you give your life to God, there's some blessings to follow, so you're here to find some of the blessings? Are you here because life is tough and you need someone to get you through it? What are you asking God? You see, in the text that we just read, it said that Cornelius was a good man who gave to the poor and prayed to God regularly. But that word prayed... Isn't just he, just, he just prayed like, you know, how we sometimes ramble. <coughs> that word prayed to God can also be thought of as being to beseech. He beseeched God. He asked God. He had something on his heart that he asked God over and over and over. And the Bible never tells us what it is that he asked. But I believe it gives us some clues. And I believe it's very important this morning to find out what he asked. And the biggest clue is he is asking God a question, and then when, when the angel came and said, Peter's going to come with an answer, one of the translations that I read said, the angel came and said to him, God has heard your prayers and is ready to send you an answer. And when he was ready for the answer, he got together his family and his friends to hear the answer. Now, if he had been asking God, what should I do with my life? Who should I marry? What, should, what job should I do? Where, where do you want me, God? <clears throat> he wouldn't exactly have, have called his family and friends together to hear the answer, would he have? So this question he was asking must have been a little bit more general and important. The other, the other clue I believe that we have is... 
he was a man who prayed to God regularly and gave generously to the Jewish poor people. I believe that's a clue because he's praying to God regularly, so this question is big on his heart. He's asking it often, but he's also, he's found God's people, and he's serving them with everything he has. And these two clues bring me to this conclusion. I think that he was asking, God, how do I get you? How do I get you? He already understood that he didn't deserve God because he was not Jewish. He understood that. And so he was asking desperately, God, how do I get you? How do I get you? You see, when we, when we chase after God and we, we give our life to him, we ask that question in the beginning, don't we? We start off our faith, our journey with God, and we say, okay, if God exists, how do I get him? And then we start our journey. Someone, someone teaches us a little bit about Jesus. We give our life to Jesus. And then we move on. And we start getting distracted by all the other little teachings that come along the way. And they're very good teachings. They're things that we all need to pursue. But we start stepping away from that initial question, God, how do I get you? And then we start getting the things of God and start ignoring God himself, right? It's like... It's like New Year's resolutions. Okay. So who's made New Year's resolutions? Two people. Really. Who believes that? I don't believe that for a second. Okay. So we'll just, we'll just play this hypothetically. So you make a, a New Year's resolution. You say, this year, I'm going to get healthy. This is the year I'm going to get healthy. And so part of being healthy, you know what? I'm going to lose weight. So I'm going to join the gym. And so you join the gym, and you start pumping iron, and you start sweating, and you start noticing that the more you do this, the bigger the numbers on those dumbbells are getting, eh? and so that excites you. And so you start, you start working to get bigger and bigger numbers, and then you start to make decisions that aren't healthy for you so that you can get those numbers bigger on the dumbbells. And then you start doing some really, start taking some unhealthy supplements, start doing some unhealthy habits in your life, you lose complete focus of your resolution to be healthy in pursuit of one of those side little details. Right? Has anyone ever met someone like this? Surely not, eh? Why are you looking so sheepish here on the front? We can get so sidetracked from this main question because we can believe, you know what, that's ground I've already covered. I already gave my life to God. I know how the gospel sounds. I've prayed the sinner's prayer. Let's move on from there. I know how to get God. And then we start chasing after things that could take us away from God. So, maybe one of the reasons we do this is because somewhere along the way, we start believing that we're not worthy. Which brings me to my second question. Do you believe that you deserve it? Or that anyone else deserves it? Now this is very interesting, this whole section. You see, in Acts chapter 10, verse 14, when Peter was having his vision, and this, this big cloth came down, and it was filled with all these foods 
that Jewish people weren't allowed to eat. God said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, surely not, for I've never let anything impure into my mouth. And it sounds a little bit arrogant, but it's probably more out of disgust that Peter's talking, right? He's never, ever, ever eaten these things. It's been disgusting for him to even consider eating them, and a, a vision is telling him you must kill and eat. It's like me taking your pet cat or pet dog and saying, kill this and eat it. You'd be like, no, I've never let a cat or dog enter my mouth. I'm not going to do that, right? It's disgusting. It's not a, it's not a point of pride. It's, it's more a reaction of how you've lived your life. But what's interesting is how exclusive Peter has become. He answers the vision saying, yes, Lord. And then when the Lord tells him what to do, he says, no, not a chance. And so he started getting exclusive and getting very religious in, in his beliefs. And, and something, I think, happens inside every single person since the time of Peter up until today, which just must be a part of human nature. So we receive that grace from God. And after a bit of time, we, we, we start wondering about why we received it, and then we're like, okay, because it's, it's because I worked so hard. It's because I, I am who I am. It's because I'm, the, I'm like the way that I am. And so when we start seeing people that are different to us, we say, ah, I'm not sure that God's grace can get to them until they become like me. They have to become like me for them to get God's grace. And sure, we might not say this kind of thing out loud, but it creeps in in subtle ways. You know, I wanted to come up this morning with a, uh, a cigar in my mouth and light it, but my mom's here, so... <laughs> Or I wanted to come up with, like, I don't know, torn jeans where you can see my beautiful skin. That would have driven Paul crazy. Or, like, a red beret or, or with, like, a leather jacket or miraculously long hair tied up into a bun and tattoos on my neck. And, and in some way, some of you, maybe on some level, would have looked and said, I'm not sure if he has the word from God this morning. He needs to become like me first before God can talk to him. And so we start to, to pull away. I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. And we'll hear the, the reputation of Christianity, because Christianity sometimes doesn't have a very good reputation, does it? It's sometimes known as like a religion of hate, a religion of exclusion. And so we say, I'm not like that. I'm different. So you know what? I'm not going to associate with Christians. And we start to pull away and pull away and pull away. And I'll tell you what, this is a, a trend that ha is happening today, not only in the church. This is a trend across all cultures today that is saying, all you need is a castle of one. All you need is yourself. There is a pursuit of isolation today. There is a reason why year upon year upon year, the statistics show that more and more and more people are living alone and are considering themselves lonely. And it is driving health professionals crazy because a lonely person increases their risk of death to the same extent as obesity and smoking. A lonely person is as, being a lonely person, it's as dangerous for you as smoking or being obese. And it's what the world is encouraging more and more and more. Do you know that you could live your entire life without having to see a single person? There are people that do this. 
They live their entire life without seeing anybody. They do all their work on their computer, they order their food and their groceries, gets delivered at their front door, dropped off, they wait till the person goes with all their cameras and everything, and they go and they get their food, never having to put their face in front of anyone else's face. And this is what the world is driving us towards, and it is something that is tempting to do in Christianity. When you start to believe, and, and let me just get this out of the way, you are special, you are unique, you are all of those things your mom told you you are, but when you start to believe that you received that grace because of that, and other people now need to become like you for them to receive the grace, you'll, you'll find yourself starting to, to pull away. And more and more Christians are staying at home on Sunday mornings. And more and more Christians are pulling away from Christians. And more and more Christians are bringing even their faith online so that they don't have to see people. And you start isolating yourself. And it's a dangerous, dangerous road to go down. You know, I considered myself Christian since a young age. Um, my first year out of university, I came to this church from time to time, maybe once a month or so. I don't know how often it was, but I know it couldn't have been a lot because I met someone else from this church and they asked me what church I go to and I said this church and they were like, I've never seen you and I go every week. And that's when I realized maybe I'm not doing this right. But then at the end of my first year out of university, I had a, I had a mentor or a, a friend who was a church leader in another church. He came to me and he said, Gavin, you need to get involved in your church. You need to get involved. You can't just go visit on the days that you weren't drinking on the Saturday night. Because that's pretty much what it came down to, I'm not going to lie. If I wasn't drinking on the Saturday night, I felt good enough to come on the Sunday morning, I'd come. And so... Oh, it's okay, we'll forgive him. It's his 40th anniversary today. <laughs> and so I started, I, I, I came to church that, that very month, that was January of that month, and I came to Daniel Robinson, where, wherever he is, there at the back. I came to him and I said, Dan, I want to serve in the youth, which was great timing because he had just been given the youth. And I started serving in the youth, and I mean, it's like 15 years later, and I'm still serving in the youth. <laughs> And it's great, because that is the reason I'm still in church today, was because of that advice from that older man. Because he told me, get involved in your church, no longer could I hide in the pews and duck out without anyone seeing me. No longer could I make it a faith that's all about me, and I'm the only one who really knows how it's supposed to go. Now I had to start working with people that I didn't agree with, or that I didn't like, or that I didn't understand, or that were just weird. And I had to start working through issues and building character. And suddenly the scripture became relevant. When God says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, I understand why it's a command. I have to do this, even when I don't want to do it. And I started growing on, in my dependence on his spirit to empower me to do all these things. And that's why I want to challenge you all. Don't be a one-man castle in your pursuit of God. The question you're asking God God, how do I get you? Don't look for that answer on your own. Get involved. Get involved in, in volunteer programs. Get involved in your community. Get involved in, I don't know, life groups or, or serving. Learn how to make coffee. That would be great. When you'll be my best friend, hey? Get involved somewhere where you, you, you can't do this alone. 
And you'll find, if you're anything like me, you'll find the text of the Bible becomes alive and becomes so much more relevant because now you're asking, how can I reach out to someone? The answers are in here. Then, if you... I don't know what my next slide is. Oh, okay, good. If you think that you can do this alone, or if you think that you can do this at all, if you're hearing my talk this morning and you think you can do this, maybe you've missed the point. Because listen to this part. You see, Cornelius was doing everything he could. He was serving the poor. He was giving generously. He was praying to God on a regular schedule, that 3 o'clock in the afternoon thing. That was an important detail because it wasn't just a coincidence. It was a part of the Jewish prayer time. And it was set in stone. That's what he did at 3 o'clock. And so he was very religious about his pursuit of God. And he was working as hard as he, could, as he could, and it still wasn't enough. Interestingly enough, just to, just to point this out, he needed community, right? He needed Peter to come and explain the gospel to him. Peter and his other believing friends came along to explain the gospel. The angel could have just explained it right then and there. I mean, Cornelius and the angel seemed to have a bit of a discussion. Why didn't the angel just explain the gospel to him? Because God wants us in community. God wants us face to face with people. And so he chose to use Peter to put people together. Right? That's just an interesting point. But then what happens is Cornelius then gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why does that happen? That happens because this walk that Cornelius is now going to have to walk, when he gets God, he's going to need to get all of God. He's going to need to surrender all of himself. So he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then Peter insists, you know what, if he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, although we've never done this before, we've never baptized a, a Gentile, we're going to baptize Cornelius, because who are we to say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't as important as the baptism of, of water? And so they baptize him in water. And this is a significant, significant moment in history. This might not have been the first Gentile who had heard the gospel or had heard about Jesus or had been accepted into the faith, but this was such a turning moment in the history of the church that it was referred to in Acts chapter 15 where they, they argue about, are Gentiles allowed to be accepted as Christians and believers? They refer back to this story. My point is, if you believe that you can do this, if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, you know what, I found my New Year's resolution because I didn't put up my hand when he asked if we have any New Year's resolutions. I found it. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get close to God. I'm going to get God, and I'm going to do it in community, and I'm going to do it the way God wants me to. I'm going to love others as I love myself, just the way the Bible commands. I'm going to do it. Then you're missing the point because you can't do it until you've got surrender, right? You have to surrender everything. Do you know, I believe that there isn't a single person who is saved alone. If you're here this morning and you've gotten to know Jesus, you didn't do that on your own. That wasn't something that a one-man castle achieved. I don't believe there is any single person who gets to know Jesus without somebody praying for them. 
We used to have a, a guy in this church many years ago who, who passed away. And he told me the story once about, um, he was an incredible missionary, uh, mission-hearted, evangelist. He was an incredible evangelist. And one day he had, a, he had a meeting at work early, early in the morning, so he was super exhausted. And they had the meeting, and after the meeting, the two of them were sitting on a bench, and his colleague was just complaining and complaining about everything in his life and his family and, and finances and all this kind of stuff, just complaining. And my friend um, just kind of like offhandedly was, I think he had his head in his hands, he said, just waiting for his next cup of coffee. And he just said, you need Jesus. And he carried on like looking down at his feet. And then there was a silence. And after the silence, the guy said, can you tell me more about this Jesus? And obviously, as an evangelist, my friend just exploded with excitement and scripture. But what it turned out is this guy, this colleague, he had gotten a new person to come and, and work in his garden. And the first day, the guy came to him and said, do you know Jesus? And then the colleague had said, no, I don't know Jesus. I just need you to, you know, sort out my flowers. And as soon as this guy heard it, he went to his church and said, my new employee, employer doesn't know Jesus. And his whole church started praying for this guy. And that's it. They just prayed for him. There was no Bible bashing. There was no, there was not just prayer. And the guy says, ever since he's had this new guy working in his garden, things have been looking different. Suddenly, he has started seeing that this world has a designer. The trees seem so much more beautiful and more alive. The sky has a blue he had never seen before. The sunsets meant so much more, and they were making him cry. And he wanted to know who was this creator. He started asking himself the question, how do I get God? Suddenly, I've had my eyes open, and I realized there is a God. How do I get God? So I believe that if you're here this morning and you know God, you didn't come to know God alone. Don't continue this journey alone. Don't be arrogant and say, I can do this on my own. Surrender to God all you are. Start this year off by having your own baptism in God's Spirit and having your own baptism where you immerse yourself in everything God is. But again, if you think you can do it, you've got this wrong. You see, if you're going to surrender all to God, and you're going to do it out of your own strength, you're going to head into legalism, and you're going to head into pride, and you're going to head into arrogance, and you're going to head into burnout. Because to get to know God, you need to have a revelation. You need to have a revelation, right? There's a beautiful prayer in uh, Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, where Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And he says, um, I'll find it now. Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, I pray that you, having been rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, again, emphasizing community, but you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul says, I pray you get a revelation of God's love. Have you had a revelation of God's love? Have you had continual revelation of God's love? 
you need to get a revelation. Once you've had a revelation, you need to get knowing. You need to know God's love. Now, you can read the Bible and know it. There's two ways. So you can read the Bible and know God's love, and that's very important. But you also need to know God's love deep within. So you get a revelation of God, and then you need to know it. Once you know it, you need to start believing. When you believe it, that means you're starting, you're starting to believe for the promises that haven't happened yet. You're starting to believe for things that have been promised. You're starting to believe for things that you haven't achieved. You're starting to believe for a journey. Once you believe it, there needs to be a counting or a reckoning. We all know the verse in Romans 6 that says, I count all things as lost, or I count myself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Basically, you need to have a change. Your life needs to look different. You need to change your identity, your self-perception. No longer am I the person I was. I am now a new person. I'm a new creation, right? You need to have a reckoning where you count yourself dead to everything that was in the past and alive to everything that's of God. And only then can we have surrender. Do you see this order is so important? It's so, so important. Because if you surrender without having the revelation, without having the, the knowledge and the belief, without having the reckoning of total surrender to God, it's going to all boil down to your own effort. And so this year, as we start off, I'm going to challenge everyone here. Make a decision to get to know God. Make a decision to get to know God. Pray for the revelation. Seek out the knowledge. Believe in the promises. Get yourself a baptism. Even if it's just, this is my decision and I am now giving my all to God and surrender to where He wants to take you. I love this picture of surrender that, that was up. Because what it says to me is, the things I want, I have to give up to get the things that God wants for me. Amen? And so, I want to tell you, Every person here, you are God's most prized creation. You are the top of his list of things that he created. He's most proud and most satisfied and most in love with you. And God wants you. He wants all of you. And he wants to give you all of him. So let's start off this year right, saying, you know what, it's not about going to church, ducking out, and not getting to know anyone, not letting anyone know that I mix with Christian crowds. And It's about attaching myself to everything of God and allowing everything of God to be attached to me. Let's just pray. Father God, there are many times in our lives where we believe that we can do something to earn your love. There are many things that we chase after because we believe by achieving them we're going to somehow make you proud or somehow earn or deserve some kind of gift from you or so many distractions that take us away from just knowing you. 
I thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus. That Jesus was able to do everything that needed to be done so that I can get all that I need to get from you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you may anoint every single person in this congregation to to know your love, to have a revelation of who you are, to let them know that it's okay to be scared or it's okay to have doubts or it's okay to worry about what's going to happen. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you encourage them and convict them to come to you, to come running to you with everything that they have. That in all things, all these things, no one here will get the glory but you. Lord God, that you can be glorified and lifted high by our faith and by our collective worship of you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read this verse earlier. God saved you by his grace when you believed. I want to stand here after the service if anyone would like to know what it means to start this faith journey, what it means to put your faith in Jesus and discover a real living relationship with him and and know what salvation means. I'd love to pray with you after the service. I'll be right here up at the front. I hope you enjoyed this recording. For more information about New Creation, please visit our website at www.newcreation.co.za. Stay blessed.